Welcome to Hysterical Horizons. I'm your host, Amber Gamer Guy, and this is the laughing place to discuss fucked shit, worldly shit, and mystical cosmic shit, because that shit is just plain old fascinating to me. But today, we're just going to be talking about a great man and a great film. Mr. Sure Sean Connery passed away on October 31st, 2020 today, as a matter of fact. I did not try to make that sound dramatic for dickish reasons, but it just came across that way, and I do apologize. But I've been a, mig a huge fan, actually, of this man since I was a wee little bastard. I mean, I'm talking about small wee little bastard, like before the fucking age of reason. And for as long as I can remember, the number seven has always been one of my favorite numbers, and that's because of Good old Sean Connery being the original 007. I mean, his portrayal of 007 is what a man should aspire to be. Just a true fucking gentleman who isn't afraid to do what has to be done. I mean, that's a real fucking man. He shoves his fucking emotions down and he just deals with shit. That is a man. Maybe not a man for this day and age but that's definitely a man we can take lessons for, you know. We don't have to be conformists who think we have to be exactly like Sean Connery. But damn it, there are a lot of us millennials or Gen Xers or whatever fucking generation you belong to who could use quite a few lessons in manliness from Sean Connery. Now, no, not the toxic masculine assholes. They need a lesson in femininity. Perhaps Laverne Cox would be willing to teach them a lesson or two. Hopefully, with her cock. By bending them over and showing them what it means to be fucked by a real woman. Moving right along. Sean Connery is going to catch a lot of flack in the next few days. And it really sucks when people are going to dredge up quotes that he said a long time ago and that have been misconstrued for many, many decades now. Sean Connery is known for at one point in a Playboy interview, I believe, and then on an interview with Diane Sawyer, uh, stating that it is perfectly acceptable to slap a woman across the face with an open palm. Ladies and gentlemen, that means please do not keep your pant pan strong and backhand a bitch. It means open palm. You know, it's kind of like you doing the Vulcan hand signal or salute, but you're going to slap her across the face with it. Now, obviously he did not mean a nice lady who has brought you a sandwich and a beer. He meant a hysterical bitch who's getting you in her face going, You fucking bastard! You fucking cheated on me and I know it! Honey, um, you're drunk right now and you're the one who was cheating on me. It's okay and I forgive you and I still love you and I want to make this... Shut up, you nice man! I'm going to fucking... Baby, can you just please calm, calm down? You're acting really hysterical, and I don't know what to do because I was told a very long time ago that I'm not allowed to slap you. Oh, you're going to slap me, huh? You little man, you're going to slap me? Oh, well, I slap you then. Slap, slap. St honey, stop it. Stop it. All right, you asked for it.
Well, that's actually what would happen today. See, his advice worked for the era in which it was given, but uh, that's the best case scenario. The, there's another case scenario that's going to happen if you actually try to use an open-handed slap, even if it's in the right scenario. She's going to call 911 and say that you did more than slap her. Or, if you're dealing with a really crazy bitch, once you've slapped the crazy bitch across the face, it's going to be something a little like, Oh, honey, did you think you were going to slap me? Hang on, let me take my earrings off. Okay. All right. You asked for it now, bitch! She's going to grab you by your fucking shirt collar and just go, wham, 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 right hand hook to the face seven or 14 times because you do not fuck with crazy bitches. Men have not kept crazy bitches in line for a very long time because we were taught not to slap them. And now, if you so much as try to keep a crazy bitch in line, they will fucking Chris Brown your ass. Mr. Connery, it is a shame that you passed away today because now more than ever, men need your help. But thankfully, there's a wonderful film beyond the great, awesome James Bond movies that can really teach a man how to be a man. And that is Finding Forrester. And this really is Sean Connery's swan song. It is, without a doubt, one of his finest films. And while I actually do love The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and I think if that film had come out in the 2010s or so, we would have seen sequel after sequel, simply because we just weren't ready for that kind of brainless action fest that most Marvel movies have turned into. But, sadly, Sean Connery retired after that film. But luckily for us, before he retired, he gave us Finding Forrester. Finding Forrester is the story of a reclusive writer who befriends a very, very talented black kid named Jamal. Now, as I'm setting up the plot for this awesome movie, you might be thinking, This sounds like a white savior narrative. Please hawk this shit elsewhere. Hang on, folks. Actually... This is a rare breed of white savior film because I don't consider it a white savior film at all. There's something really unique about this film and once I explain it to you, because most of you probably haven't fucking seen it, or if you have, you probably fucking forgot it because let's face it, it came out 20 years ago, ironically, 20 years ago. Uh, it came out in the year 2000 and now Mr. Connery has passed away and it just so happened to be the Sean Connery film I chose to watch before recording this podcast, and I'm fucking glad that I did. Because this film hit so many important narrative points that just are so socially relevant that I am flabbergasted as to why it's not remembered more fondly or even remembered at all. The black kid in this film is not your typical talented black kid in movies, you know, at the time. Talented black kids in movies of that era were talented because they could play sports. They weren't really seen as talented for their intelligence, and that's exactly what Jamal is. He's an extremely intelligent kid. Now, he also deeply excels at basketball, but that's because he's really intelligent, and he plays basketball to, you know, hang out with friends, and later on in the film to actually pay for a scholarship to an incredible private school. And this is where the film really fucking picks up. Because this relationship develops between Forrester, the reclusive writer, and Jamal. And 
What Forster sees in Jamal is a talent greater than his own. He sees in him something that he didn't even see in himself. And so he has become the father figure to this kid who, much like a lot of black kids, just didn't have, you know, that male mentor role model. But I got to say there were a lot of white kids who didn't have that either. So it's not just, you know, in the black uh, communities, but I definitely think that they needed it more than us because we never really try to excel the way that black kids do. I mean, if a black kid finds a fucking skill, like if they're good at rapping, if they're good at playing basketball, they fucking try to excel. They actually have drive and determination. They are some of the fucking most determined and hardworking people you'll ever meet. And that's when you really see that Southerners call them lazy because they realized how lazy they were barking orders to black people while they were sipping fucking lemonades going, you lazy piece of shit, nigga, pick that cotton. I mean, really, the pot calling the fucking kettle black people. But that didn't really change after the South. There was something that I was not, you know, really aware of until I saw this film. Jamal is basically bullied by this fucking dickhead English teacher who's threatened because Jamal is actually smarter than him. And what the school wants more than anything is for Jamal to excel at basketball, but they could give a fuck if he excels in any kind of academic sense. You know, he's their golden goose to win their fucking basketball games. And that's what I think happens to a lot of hyper-intelligent black kids who could have gone way fucking further than a sports career. Look at Colin fucking Kaepernick, people. The amount of intelligence to know what a simple action like taking a knee would do. The amount of balls that it would take to do something like that. Wow, that's a real fucking man right there. Thank goodness that men have a fucking courageous stand-up role model like Colin Kaepernick because the old guard we've lost, you know? We've lost what it meant to be a gentleman. We have lost connections to our past and because unfortunately, much like Finding Forrester, Sean Connery kind of became reclusive later in his life. But I would say when you've given us so many incredible stories like Finding Forrester and all the other amazing movies that he's made. I mean, there are literally so many that, uh, you know, First Night, Rising Sun, fucking Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Yes, that's a great fucking movie too. Um, just fucking incredible films. And then he spent his twilight years enjoying his life. And that kind of mirrors the end of Finding Forrester, where Forrester actually comes out of his apartment to defend Jamal because Jamal's being accused of plagiarism. And they're going to try to really shame him into either, you know, saying that he lied and that he's not that smart, or basically just giving up his entire fucking future. And fucking Forrester won't let that happen so he fucking goes to the school and he gives this rousing speech and it's a speech that Jamal wrote he's like he wrote that speech he did and what that scene really fucking was when he's going in there and defending this kid and helping him take a hold of his future 
was that wasn't just passing the fucking baton of a rider. Because, you know, Forrester could have been played by any race. It just so happened that Sean Connery played the part. But what that actually meant metaphorically by the end of the film, when you get to that scene where he's defending Jamal and handing him his future, is you see a white dude using his privilege, not just to use his privilege to be like, hey, hey, black people, black people matter, yo. It's like, no, what he was doing was more than that. He was using his privilege to give his white privilege to Jamal. He was going, he's smarter than me. He's better. He is the future. And then Forrester tells Jamal after that scene that he's going to go back to his homeland of Scotland and uh, just enjoy life. And then we catch up with Jamal in his senior year. And he's visited by Matt Damon in a great cameo role as uh, Forrester's lawyer, who's come to sadly inform Jamal that Forrester passed away because he had had cancer for even longer than Jamal had known him. And Forrester gifts Jamal his second book because this man only wrote one book, like the great American novel, just one. And he gives him the second manuscript with instructions that he is supposed to write the foreword for it. He gives him the apartment and everything. And it's just like, wow, that is, that's truly the passing of the privilege. That's going, this is, the, this is the future. And the fact that the movie was also making a point that these kids who are recruited to these incredible private schools are recruited not for their academic prowess like they're told they are, they're recruited for their sportsman prowess. Now, I know there are kids who are recorded, recruit, recruited just for their sportsman prowess, but it's another kind of fuckery when these white fucking academic cocksuckers get these really fucking smart, intelligent black kids, like, smarter, more driven, and more determined than me as a lazy white fucker who could ever dream of being, especially at that young age. Like, I might be getting my shit together now that I'm nearly 30, but most of you black kids have gotten your shit together before you're even fucking 18. So you need applause and that, that that's sounded really fucking um, patronizing and I do apologize, but it's really because I see everybody talking about police brutality, but nobody's really talking about this shit. And I kind of think this is equally important, if not so more important, because this is happening and no one's talking about it. Colin Kaepernick shouldn't have been a fucking football player. He should have been a fucking politician, an artist or something. His level of intelligence way fucking eclipses so fucking many other people exactly like him, but who are white. Look at a fucking white football player. Those are not the brightest bulbs in the box. They might be extremely driven and determined, and I'm not saying all of them are dumb as a fucking brick, so don't think I'm saying that. I'm just saying that's a genius, and the others can be really fucking smart, but they're not going to be a fucking genius. And it's a problem when these geniuses could have been funneled, funneled to these careers not because sports is their main passion. Like in Finding Forrester, Jamal's main passion is not basketball. It's writing. It's his, his mind. He just doesn't think he can do anything with it because his friends couldn't give a shit. And nobody's like, oh my god, you're smart, that's awesome, yay, smart people. Because nobody gives a fuck about smart people. Smart people are annoying. They are thorns in the side of the average intelligent person. And it's really funny when these fucking white academic teachers are actually average of intelligence 
compared to a 16-year-old black kid. And that's exactly what this fucking movie showed. And I can think of no better way to honor Sir Sean Connery than to remind everyone of this fucking incredible film that he chose to be a part of. This was not a man who just picked films willy-nilly. He could do anything he fucking wanted, and he did. You know, he didn't make movies other than for the fact that he loved to make movies. He was Sean Connery. He could get any role he fucking wanted. He retired at the top of his game. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen didn't do well critically, but it was a commercial success. And if he wanted to have made a sequel to it, he could have. He was just like, they didn't like it. I, I don't know how to pick the good roles anymore. I thought this was going to be a fun and a good one and everybody was going to have a good time. So I'm just going to go enjoy my life and they have my body of work to enjoy and I'll have the twilight years of my life to enjoy. And I think that was an awesome fucking trade, dude. To, to think that you were one of the celebrities who didn't come out and go, vote blue, vote red, do this, do that. You didn't tell anybody how to fucking live. You just lived your best life. Now, the problem that I have and that I'm beginning to have with any celebrity telling anybody how to vote, and it really didn't dawn on me on how fucking much it's pissing me off until now. See, you fuckers have more resources than any of us standard people. You could do more for the country than any of us in a 48-hour period if you all got together with your collected wealth and did something about all the problems in the fucking world. But instead, you go on Twitter and you, you just fucking ran and rave about Trump. You try to tell us all how to live and what to do. But it's like, you have the fucking power. I understand, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. But it's a little shitty of you rich fucks to ask your lesser fortunate countrymen to pick up the slack on your behalf. Now, Sean Connery never fucking did any of that shit. That is a real gentleman. He didn't want to make his fans who were Republican feel shitty or his fans who were Democratic feel shitty. He just wanted to put out good movies and then enjoy his life. Wow. He stuck to his guns when people tried to tell him, Hey, are you saying that you advocate violence against women? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I think if a bitch is getting out of line and there's nothing else you can do, that it's fair to slap her across the face with an open palm. That's all I'm saying. And I'm sticking to it because I'm a man of my word. And I would never suggest to beat the shit out of a woman. I'm just saying if a bitch is getting in your face, give her a good slap. And she might come back to reality. And who knows? The future might be populated by incredibly smart women who can really be better than us men. Because we gave you the tough love your fathers never fucking gave you. I know I suck at a Sean Connery impersonation, but uh, let's be honest. That's If you can do a Sean Connery impersonation and make it sound authentic, good for you. It's not a fucking telling I have. <laughs> I don't give a shit. But I do give lots of a shit that, sadly, people are going to try to stir the pot and destroy this awesome man's legacy. 
if he actually believed in violence against women, I'm pretty sure at one point somebody would have been like, Sean Connery beat the shit out of me! But we never heard any shit like that, because the man was a fucking gentleman. And you can really understand that when you just listen to people who met him and go, he was one of the most vibrant, incredible human beings I've ever met. He was so kind. I mean, Roger Moore said that Sean Connery was one of his best friends and one of the best human beings he knew, and that he was the best James Bond. That is coming from one of the ultimate humanitarians of the world, because Roger Moore was always out there using his resources to better the world. He wasn't telling other people how to live. He was getting out there and using his fortunes, using his privilege for the greater good. What are you doing, Mr. Paul Rudd, handing out fucking cookies at voting centers? What are you doing, Mr. John Cusack, going online and bad-mouthing people? You know, you don't like it when Trump and James Woods and all those conservatives do that type of shit, so why are you sinking to their level instead of showing us what it is to be a real fucking man? What it is to be a real human being? You know, let's cut the sexist shit. You know, it's just the fact that if we can drop the man and the woman shit from it, Sean Connery wasn't the ultimate man. He was an ultimate human being. Because this, this cat, you know, he fucking stood his ground. He refused to give in. He refused to conform. He refused to apologize when he wasn't wrong. He never badmouthed anybody. He always went out and gave his best at his job. And when he finished and he didn't think that anybody would really give a shit about anything else he'd have to do, he retired, went away, and enjoyed his life without causing harm to anyone. That's what human beings should aspire to do. Do something good with your career, and then if people don't fucking value you, it's free for you to just go away and have fun and enjoy your life. Because it's going to be the next generation's duty to defend your legacy because your legacy is an important one for that matter any person who's made any kind of historical impact on the world as long as you're a decent human being your legacy is an important one because it shows that you could be a true icon a true fucking legend and still be a decent fucking human being that's what makes sean connery's legacy so fucking important. I don't want to hear these weak-ass men who are just trying to go online and say, you know Sean Connery believed in violence against women. You know what? You know you're only saying that so some woman will see it and you pray to God that she's going to fucking find something interesting about the fact that you're saying shit like that and that maybe, just maybe, she'll fuck you. That's all you're trying to do. You're not trying to champion women's rights. You're trying to sit there and get laid. To be honest, I'm not even sure, aside from equal pay, what other rights women need at this point. You are free to vote and do whatever the fuck it is you want to do. The Me Too movement, to a certain extent, um, showed a couple of problems. It showed that women need to take some cues from Sean Connery and learn to stand up for themselves. Now, ladies, before you take utter offense to that statement, realize I'm not talking about the ones who were literally physically 
abused and physically raped in a I'm holding you down and you can't get the fuck away from me kind of way. But I'm talking to you <clears throat> victims who met with a man who told you they would make you famous if you did some sexual shit with them and you went okay I can't say no. What, they said they were going to destroy your career? If you slept with them because they said that, then you valued your career more than your own humanity. They didn't steal your humanity from you. You gave it up willingly because you're like, I'd rather be an actress than keep my humanity. It's a fucking shitty situation to be put in. I'm not lying. But I am saying that it's, this, it's further evidence that when women are on dates with men and there's literally no coercion going on and the woman never says no and then they have sex and the woman's like, oh my God, I think I was actually pressured into that. Honey, if you did something that you regret, I actually empathize and I feel sorry. It sucks to regret the actions you have taken okay that's fair and any gentleman would tell you that but anybody who just doesn't tell you the truth of well the problem with accusing someone of rape in that scenario is that you didn't give the man an opportunity to know that there was something wrong and since Women constantly like to remind us how stupid men are. And since we're known to think with our dicks, is it not possible that a man is waiting for no, and if he hears no, he would stop, but if he's never told no, there's no way he's gonna fucking know. And if it's one of those situations where you think, but if I say no, he's not gonna like me anymore. But if you're uncomfortable in that situation and you don't say no, then why would you even want to be with him anyway? If he isn't going to like you, fuck him, honey. And no, I don't mean literally. I mean literally tell him to go fuck himself. And leave. Any man who just tells you, yes, honey, you're raped and you're a victim, is a little bitch who's trying to get in your pants. They're the ones manipulating you. Because you're going to ruin somebody's life and years and years later, you're going to come to terms with what you did. And not only are you going to regret having sex with that dude, you're going to regret destroying their fucking life. You're being played, sweetie. But most men aren't brave enough to say that shit because they're afraid that women will just cut them off halfway through and they'll just forever think, oh, you're just a misogynistic piece of shit. You don't really care about women. Well, sometimes issues are more complex than we'd like to think of the world as being black and white, you know. <laughs> when I think of black and white, everybody always takes it to a place of racism, so it just makes me laugh now. It makes me go, <laughs> black and white, isn't that so funny? Because everybody automatically assumes if you say black and white, they're like, black person, white person. And what's actually funny about that is finding Forrester takes a fucking narrative that could have been so black and white just the good white man's helping 
the the stupid black man and it's like no they're helping each other they're saving each other and that's the equality to the film and that's what the fucking world needs to see but if people aren't allowed to discuss complex complex issues in a light-hearted way then when you get to those fucking knee-jerk reaction moments you're not going to know okay not everything this person is saying is totally serious they're talking the truth, but they're not taking themselves so seriously that they think they need to stand there and lecture you to make sure you got it. It's like somebody who stands there and gives a lecture thinks that they know everything, that everything they're saying is a universal fact, and nobody has universal facts. We've got good clues, and we should all get together and work on our clues, but we should lose our fucking egos. Because I got to tell you, Sean Connery put a lot of great ideas into his movies, but he never went around telling people how to live, acting like he knew everything, like he had everything figured the fuck out. Because he probably knew he only had things figured out for himself. He was probably happier than anybody else for like the last 20 years. He was probably happier than anybody else for like the last several months. Because he knew what to do with his resources for himself. He knew how to have fun. He knew how to enjoy life. And that's something we all need to fucking learn. Because unless you're a celebrity who had Sean Connery's wealth, there really wasn't anything you could do to affect change in the world. But honestly, if I was Sean Connery and I was looking at all these other celebrities who didn't give a fuck to use their wealth for the greater good, but wanted to go around and tell the poor people what they needed to fucking do, I would just be like... I could use all my money to try to save the world, but it wouldn't do any fucking good with these greedy cocksuckers out there trying to stop people from doing shit like I'm going to do. So since I can't really do anything, I'm just going to do me and hope that the shit I put out in my movies inspires somebody else to do better than I ever fucking could. And that's exactly what you see at the end of Fighting Forrester. He knew he had wasted his life. He had written one book and then just fucking froze and gave up and he didn't have that drive. You do not see that shit in black people. You see that in white people all the time. They'll get to a successful point and they'll stop, but black people, they fucking keep going. I mean, Michael Jordan fucking made it in basketball, then had to go to baseball, then had to make Space Jam. They fucking pursue shit. That's incredible. That's why white people are so fucking scared of black people. Because they remember how hard-working they were on the plantations, and they remember how fucking lazy they were. And the only thing that the white people had over the black people was their fucking knowledge and intelligence. But when these black people start fucking getting it for themselves, the white people are like, Shit! Shit! Fuck! Fuck! We've got to make sure that they always stay stupid because if these people get smarter than us, we are fucked! And maybe that's why people don't remember finding Forrester. Well... It took Sean Connery passing the fuck away for me to find Forrester again. But I found Forrester, and you can too. And maybe it'll inspire you to pursue your own personal expression. Because that's what being a writer is all about. And ultimately, that's what finding Forrester is all about. It's about finding that talent, that passion that you have, and pursuing it, and not letting anybody fucking stop you. If you know you're talented... Believe in yourself. Because unfortunately, we're not all going to have that nice fucking white reclusive neighbor who's going to take us in and be the father figure and go, 
There, there, I'm gonna teach you everything that nobody else ever fucking has. We just have to figure this shit out for our fucking selves. But luckily, we have great movies like Finding Forrester to do that with. So I highly recommend checking this one out. And also, Sean Connery's entire filmography. Because the dude never made a bad fucking movie. No matter what the critics try to tell you, think for yourselves. You might not like all his movies. But I guarantee you, he never made a bad fucking movie. Thank you guys so much for listening to Hysterical Horizons. If you're still listening at this point, you are fucking a legend. I love you so fucking much. No, literally, no homo. No fucking sexual advances if you're a lady. I'm not trying to fucking get in your pants and none of that shit like that. I just want to tell you as one human being to another, I love you and I see value in you because for whatever reason, you're still listening to this because you found something valuable and whatever the fuck it is I'm doing here. And while it is very hard of me to think highly of myself because I've never fucking had confidence before, I know for a fact that there's going to be somebody out there listening to this. So if there's just one person out there listening right now, hey, this is for us. And if there really is just one person out there listening right now, hit me up on Twitter, yo, at MegaMOverload. We need to talk because if you like this shit, I'd like to talk to you because I don't want to be in an echo chamber. You don't have to agree with me or no shit like that. But if you found value in this weird, wacky shit, then I find value in whatever you find value in this weird, wacky shit because you must have some weird, wacky ideas because most people would just listen to this shit and go, that fucker's retarded. But that's why this retarded fucker tells you it's okay to laugh at me. So if all you did was just laugh and go, that's the funniest retard I've ever listened to. Hey, I'm all for it. And we can all use another friend. So if you need a friend, I need a friend. Why don't we be friends, y'all? Why don't we be family? Why don't we be one gigantic cosmic family? Because who knows? Maybe Bruce Lee was totally right when he said, under the sky, under the heavens, there is but one family. It just so happens that humans are different. Thanks for listening, and later days. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. Mm -hmm.